0: Okay, so I'm Nick Bircher, and this is the Nordic Future Makers podcast. And this is kind of a a highlights edition, an episode with some bits from different conversations I had across series one. And I spoke to lots of different people. I spoke to people from media, marketing, music, and more. And one of the more technical things that kept coming up was AI. So I've collected up various different thoughts and comments and little clips from other episodes. And thought it would be interesting to do a kind of an AI special, an AI deep dive. So first up it's Bo Helberg telling us about what AI and machine learning is and how it can help.
1: What I what I've done or spent, I guess about four or five years ago, I I was I was looking briefly at artificial intelligence more like a general curiosity like what is it and there was a bunch of books that came out there was one in particular called Singularity and it sounded a bit like it was scary and a bit Terminator and Elon Musk said that it's going to come around and kill us all and all kinds of stuff so I started thinking about it from a different point of view which was about well one is just trying to understand it and secondly how would it fit into my part of the world which is kind of creativity and i found that a couple of things the, the, the first one is that artificial intelligence or what essentially it is is machine learning it's not you know there's it, there's no there's no big brain lurking in a vault somewhere that's going to you know plot a course how to take over the world through robots it's 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 that's not entirely true uh, or at all um machine learning is is how you can teach algorithms to do things by themselves and how to figure things out that's the simplest way to explain it and then there's a bunch of different things like neural networks and and all kinds of ways to structure these um and and how they find solutions and how they collaborate between themselves and the most important part is the data sets which is the brains that you plot into the algorithm so what you teach them and you can do that either by buying things off the shelf that is ready or you can have a bunch of students, for instance, that teach the machine things, teach them what the difference is between a tomato and a red apple, so that when the machine shows you uh, an apple and thinks it's tomato, you can correct it. Um, That's kind of how you teach machines. And either you have a a ready-made kind of set of data that you can feed the machine, so it knows how to tell the difference between a tomato and an apple, or you have to sit down and do the painstakingly, labor-intensive work of going through it, which is how a lot of universities do it. But that's a long way to talk about uh, machine learning. But it's been around since, I guess, it came around in the 80s, but it got very expensive and there were some things that didn't quite work out to plan, not so far that anyone died or anything. It was more like it wasn't very effective and it was costly and the processing power at the time was was not tremendous. In the 90s, it snuck into banking and finance. So today, for instance, a lot of the a lot of the financial work is happening through machine learning, which is pretty interesting. So there's there's not a lot of thinking going on by humans. A lot of the investments that you have in your pension pots or whatever, and those decisions and how people are and how the money is being moved around, is happening through a piece of algorithm that makes those decisions on your behalf to optimize depending on what your thing is.
0: Okay, so from what Bo has just explained. We kind of know that AI is not some evil kind of brain trying to take over the world. It's machine learning. It's the machines learning from patterns that they see in the data. So the next clip is from Daniel Kafer. So Daniel is the former head of Facebook in Denmark. And he told me about how this kind of optimization and artificial intelligence can help with media planning and advertising.
2: So again, I think with artificial intelligence, it's really important to start simple. So there are things artificial intelligence can do better than than humans. And this is not new to us. I mean, just look at TV planning. You might not even call it artificial intelligence, but you would have optimization programs telling you uh, simply, you know, the channel split that would give you the best reach and frequency for a campaign. And the planners wouldn't doubt that this would be the best approach to get the optimal campaign and it's a bit the same now with targeting google and facebook have so many signals on the consumers that they can do much more precise targeting than the the marketer would be able to do so a good example would be marketers trying to put the consumer to life by describing what that customer was like saying people who enjoy this kind of Beverage would probably be modern people living in big cities, you know, in, enjoying movies in movie theaters or something like that. But, but when you look at the actual data of who consumes this product, you know, the, the audience would be much less well defined. But here, artificial intelligence can help us. So, you know, when when you post the ad and you just let the algorithms uh, have a little bit of time to find out who actually convert they will be much smarter than a human could ever be picking the right target group. So I think these are some examples where we can just go out of the way. We can also let algorithms help us judge which creative is more effective and we'll be able to feedback what is working and what is not.
0: Okay. So that was Daniel talking about how machine learning and AI can help with, with advertising. Then I had a conversation with Jenny Geiki from SJ Trains in Sweden. And in the episode with her, we spoke a lot about customer experience and customer journey and data and things like that. And she told me that she's fascinated by AI and intelligent systems. But Jenny's also thinking about ethics and and how the data is used too. The
3: whole AI revolution, I think, is is, is one of the most sort of, talked about but less understood areas Uh, everyone is talking about robotics and and also how different kinds of intelligent systems is going to affect our lives in the future and uh, I think it's a really interesting area and an area that we haven't really grasped any one of us how big of the importance it's going to have for everyone and how we're going to automate so many things that hasn't been really automated yet and how we're going to uh, have this layer of intelligence among us that is gonna help us to to make decisions and and uh, do uh, different kinds of of tasks for us and and how we're gonna predict uh, uh, different kinds of scenarios and ha- and how we can uh, sort of use this collective intelligence that we have in a really smart way so we need to talk more about that because there's also there's lots of hope around it but it's also, so the discussions that we need to have about ethics and how we can use all the data about us ourselves. And I guess if you are like me, you're already sort of, you have data about yourselves everywhere. Um, but you don't really know uh, who's using it and, and why and for what purpose. Uh, and those are really interesting issues. I think uh, at the same time, I see so, so many great possibilities for us as a business and how we're going to also use Data and, and, and AI to make even smarter, uh, more personalized services in the future. It is endless possibilities. And as the computing power still increases and, and you can process this, this amounts, uh, sort of massive amounts of data, you as, I mean, we as an organization really need to build. New capabilities to to be able to to harvest on on, on these kinds of technologies, so I think that it's a great opportunity, but also a great challenge for us.
0: Okay, then, in my first podcast, um, the very first one I did, I met an old friend Lasser from SteamRex, to talk about AI and deep learning and how they power his business and its mobile car cleaning. And in this clip, you'll hear Lasse talking about how deep learning can solve what he calls the traveling salesman with flexible time windows problem.
4: Our main focus here is to, um, to try and have deep learning take over from Google. It, doesn't, it, it really doesn't know anything about traffic jams or anything like that, but it does have a, a data history. And it keeps getting better because it keeps recording, okay, I estimated that this route would take 20 minutes, but we can actually using GPS and stuff like that, see that, okay, it took 30 minutes, so it's constantly, being, it's constantly improving itself to guess this. Um, now, to calculate this is an extremely complex problem involving a lot of math. Um, There's actually a term for it. Uh, it's called the traveling salesman with flexible time windows problem, um, and and it can uh, you, you quickly just run into another obstacle, which is that the server costs of crunching these mathematical jobs will also scale in a not very uh, um, very uh, sustainable way. So we've tried to look at how. Because deep learning is a buzzword, and and so we're trying to say, okay, but how can we actually improve, you know, traditional deep learning with like uh, technologies like Google TensorFlow? How can we improve these to make our algorithms more efficient? Um, and we've actually for, for this uh, problem, we are actually taking a cue from uh, three dimensional graphics design. Um, when you have like, and it can be your Disney movie if you have frozen, where you have snow kicked all around. These are, these are lots of, of small particles that needs to be aware of where each other are and if they're influencing each other. Um, and there, there, there are quite a bit of research in that area. Um, and actually our problems can be simplified immensely if we can figure out which kind of, if we have, we need to be at 10 addresses But if we can find out which addresses are actually relevant to consider for each single car and then not just discard the rest and put them on another car, we can simplify this problem immensely. You you could throw a problem like this uh, into a kind of standard Google TensorFlow work, but I think we are uh, actually about 10 to 20 times more efficient because we can we are better able to to sort out what is really relevant to let the deep learning algorithms look at and what is not.
0: Okay, and then to finish, Bo comes back again and tells us how AI can be creative and can it take the job of creatives and copywriters in the future?
1: I mean, the world that I live in is not binary. It's very kind of gray zone storytelling. So, how does it how does it fit in? And I I started finding a bunch of people who had explored this. So there's a there's a university in the U.S. called Georgetown, and they have a piece of code called uh which is you know the the, the woman from One Thousand and One Nights who survives by telling a new story every night. And it's an algorithm that can write prose. And they've taught Shahrazad how to write prose over probably ten years, as it learns through trial and error and from students on campus um, that study English literature, I presume, it gets better and better. And today it can actually write decent prose. It's, it's, you know, it's better than Brown. It's not Shakespeare, but it is, it is uh, actually half decent. Um, and there's a bunch of other applications and tools and algorithms. There's one... Uh, There's one here in the UK that makes art, uh, digital art, and the art is inspired of what is uh, being communicated in in social media and the internet. So it's basically sentiment tracking, if you like, but also articulations, words that are being used, and that affects it in, and puts it in an emotional state that then sort of somehow gives direction for the output. If it's if it's positive, beautiful images, or if it's dark and gloomy, uh, what it depicts, what it chooses to depict. And, and there's a lot of uh, autonomy, uh, autonomous kind of thinking in you know, these machines that are created that is happening right now. But it's not, it's not amazing and it's not super clever and it's not original. It's still, it's still parroting to a very large extent. Um, so I did a of research on this one. I talked about that one. The one thing that I did find interesting though is, is the, are the opportunities within, within, uh, testing, you know, storylines, for instance. So I write scripts. And and when you write scripts, um you you you, you have your characters, you have your storyline, but you wanna try different paths. And that, that's quite labor intensive. So you 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 do all these rewrites. You could have an algorithm that could write sort of say six different types of stories or story developments uh with the same characters where in one maybe the main protagonist dies, and the second one the protagonist goes on and lives happily ever after. In the third one, he gets married and perhaps it is is in their deal of marriage. In the third one, he has a whole bunch of kids. And you see how they pan out. And and it, in and your role as the originator, the creator becomes more like a curator uh, than perhaps the one that does all the labour-intensive work.
0: Okay, so I hope you found this interesting. You can check out the full conversations with Beau, Daniel, Jenny and Lassa. And also all the other episodes are still available too. So series two of the Nordic Future Makers podcast will start shortly with another collection of amazing people who are pushing the boundaries of digital media, marketing, tech, startups and culture. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I hope you will subscribe to the podcast and I hope you will listen again in the future.